0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to Sandals Church. Our vision as a church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and I realize that for the last like 10 years of my life, I've started to care way more about what's going on on the inside of my heart than what's going on on the outside with my behavior. And it's one of the reasons why I love the vision of Sandals Church, this vision of being real, because I think God cares way more about what's going on on the inside of our hearts. The problem is it's very difficult to see what's going on on the inside of our hearts. <laughs> and I have a difficult time with it. I have a difficult time you know, understanding sometimes what I'm believing, you know, what I'm having faith in. But Jesus knew how to see inside someone's heart and what he would do several times in his ministry, we see him going to the temple and he would park somewhere and he would just people watch, but he would watch how people gave their offering to God. And Jesus made this connection for us that there's something about this relationship, this connection between what we give and what we actually believe. And we need to understand how God sees generosity. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be in a series focusing on this idea of generosity. And I called it giving up because I want to remind us that we look up to God and our generosity has way more to do with what we believe than what we give. Now, as soon as we start talking about giving, I know some of you get nervous. You wonder, is somebody going to pass something? You know, am I going to be asked to give like some money and you're sweating, you're sinking down in your chair, you know, and so uh, listen, there's no ask. You know, there's no ask. There's no, nobody's going to pass anything. Uh, You don't have to hide your wallet in your shoe, okay? Uh, Because I want you to kind of mentally close that window so that you can listen, because I think we need generosity way more than we think we do. Let me ask you this. Uh, Has anybody been... Uh, nervous or anxious or fearful this last couple of years? Anybody, right? And if you haven't, I have something called the news. You can just pull it up. Uh, they, they deal in fear like a drug dealer, right? You know, would you like some anxiety, you know? Or this little thing, this will give you a panic attack. You'll never forget. Uh, did you know that generosity is God's tool to teach you to trust him day after day, month after month, year after year, so that you said, man, God's got me in the future. Uh, Have have you been depressed? You know, some of us get in this cycle of sadness and depression. You know, generosity will break that loop of of like self-absorption to help you see other people. How many of you have been angry at somebody? Can I challenge you? Man, if you take the person that you're most angry with right now and say, I'm going to do something to be generous for them, I promise you'll feel God. Because you'll feel what it's like to give to somebody that doesn't deserve it, just like God gives to us. What if you've been addicted? There's an addiction or maybe just a sin in your life that you have not been able to break. And here we are coming to another year and you're like, I'm going to make another stupid resolution that I can't keep. But listen, generosity is the thing that helps you learn to say no to your wants and yes to other people's needs. Or uh, just plain old jealousy. How many of you just been jealous? Like, man, I want his car or his job or, you know, uh, some, if you're single, maybe you want to be married. Uh, and then once you get married, you, maybe you want to have a baby. And I asked my wife, I was like, what do do moms want? And she said, moms want their body back from when they were single. So everybody's jealous, but generosity, listen, it will kill all the idols in your life. We need generosity way more than we think we do. And the fact is money is already changing you. It's just under the surface and you don't see it. Now, some of you may not remember this, but about eight years ago, in Flint, Michigan, they started making the news for this crisis. Somebody made a bad decision about their water and it was an irreversible problem. And, and, and thousands of people started getting uh, sick from the water. And they were kind of, they, they kind of knew it was the water because they could see the water, <laughs> you know? You know when you can kind of see stuff floating in your water, it was bad. Uh, it kind of tasted bad, which is not a good sign. I think the weirdest thing is it smelled bad. You know, I've been to like Philippines, you know, Indonesia, India. I can't remember the last time I've smelled water, right? Like when you can smell the water, that's not good. You know, you're like, your friends are over, you're like, oh, was that you? Yeah, sorry, man, I got thirsty, poured a glass of water. <laughs> you have to light a match. Uh, but listen, it wasn't just that it smelled bad, it was poison. And it actually was seven times the amount, the maximum amount of lethal, like stuff was coming through their pipes into their homes and it was poisoning people. In fact, there's two manslaughter charges against those guys because water's life or death. But here's what made this story so interesting to me is that just 50 miles away in Lansing, Michigan, perfect water, perfect water. And even if they were pulling from the same source, it wouldn't have changed the problem. The problem in Flint, Michigan was that Flint sits on 10,000 corroded lead pipes. They're literally, they're being poisoned from right underneath and within their own homes. And if you've seen Michigan, it's got all the water. You know, we're not talking about Phoenix, right? Like Michigan's got all the lakes, all the water, and that wasn't the problem. The problem was what happens when it goes through their house. Listen, when we talk about money, money's neutral. The way the Bible talks about money is that you can have all the money. There's people in the Bible who have all the money and that's fine. There's people who have no money. Bible, you know, money is neutral, but it's what happens when it goes through the pipes of our heart and our identity and our significance that either brings life to people around us or death. We're going to look at somebody in the Bible who had all the things you think you want. Money, power, all, all the stuff. His name is Zacchaeus but he didn't have the thing that his heart really needed. Can we look at this story together? This is in Luke chapter 19, starting verse one. Now, Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, but he was seeking. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't see him because he was small in stature. He's a short guy, all right, like me. You know, and we love to always focus on this story of Zacchaeus and him being small. I'm okay with my smallness. You know, some people are not secure with their small I'm like in the you know, men's bathroom, I use the short urinal. You're thank, thank you. You're welcome guys. I'm okay with it. I'm secure. I just use somebody's gotta do it. I use it. Uh I remember when Rebecca saw my first driver's license, like from high school, it, I weighed, it said 98 pounds, okay, on my driver's I should have used a booster seat, right? <laughs> Rebecca's like, you didn't want to like round up to three digits? <laughs> and I, you know, most people rounded down. I never even thought of rounding up, but I'm secure, okay? Um, I think all of us though, deal with a different type of smallness on the inside. We all got like Lord Farquaad on the inside, you know, <laughs> that's trying to make up for something. And I mean, just let me, have you heard of Tom Brady? You know, uh, super successful, right? Like seven Super Bowls, but he can't retire. You know why? He's afraid. He says, I don't know what's next. He did an interview 60 minutes, you know, four Super Bowls ago. It's like, I, there's got to be more than this, right? There's got to be more. And the interviewer asked him, well, what else is there? And he goes, I wish I knew. Break your heart. Anybody heard of Michael Phelps, Mr. 23 gold medals and like the poster child for depression? Because he's saying, man, this isn't it. You could have all the success, all the money, all the things, and it's not there. But at least they're real, right? Like at least they're telling us that that's not the right mountain to climb. Zacchaeus was in Jericho. It's a port city. It's a trade city. To be a tax collector in this city, you hit the jackpot. The reason he's chief tax collector is it takes a lot of them because there's a lot of taxes. So he was rich, not even because he was corrupt. He would have been rich anyway because Jericho is such an influential city. He has all the influence. He has the money. But I think the thing that we don't notice is this. As a Jewish person, to work for, under the Roman government against your own people and collect taxes, you're a traitor. They call him a sinner. What they really mean is you're a traitor and you're not a part of our family, Abraham, if you do that. I want you to write this down. When we think about all these people, well, Ecclesiastes, first of all, says this. Ecclesiastes 6, that there is an evil I've seen under the sun. It lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth possessions, honor, so that he's lacking nothing and all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy those things. Write this down if you have your notes. I, we have an emotional bank account. You and I have an emotional bank account that money and honor cannot fill. It just can't fill it. And I think that's the lie that a lot of us believe that keep us from generosity is, is that once I have enough, you know, then I'll start to be generous. Like, you know, once we pay off the house, then we'll, we'll do this thing. Or once we get enough uh, for the kids college, or you know, once I get this promotion, then we'll start to give or we'll be generous here. And, and then it's like, well, once I you know, do this a, a, and it just keeps going. You, you're never gonna fulfill that fully in those things. And it reminded me of Jeremiah two, where God says to his people this, For my people, and he's talking about believers, people who follow God. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, but they've hewed or dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. A cistern was a 30 or 40 foot hole that you would dig into the rock, line it with clay. And in Jerusalem, since they were on a mountain, it collected rain. If if your cistern leaked, that was life or death. Water was life or death. You with me? To have a broken cistern is not a good thing. It can't hold anything. It's, fu- it's futile, trying to keep filling it. Um, if you're a parent, I got some advice for you. We got two boys. If you got two boys praying for you, first of all, but uh, somebody told me a long time ago, with well, boys, you've got to wear them out, okay? So you got to wear it because otherwise they will fulfill their number one purpose in life, which is to destroy your house, right? So my wife and I, we would take them to the beach. This is what we would do. We'd go to the beach and we'd camp you know, in the sand. And uh, they would go play in the ocean. You know, we got the whole ocean. They go play in the ocean for like 30 minutes. But we would bring a bucket and shovel because they would come back and then they'd start digging. And it it always works, okay? even with grown men, it always works. They start digging. And they would start digging ocean number two. You know, it's like, it's a kiddie pool, but it's like, we're making ocean number two right here. And and then they would start trying to fill it. So they would run like all the way down the water, their little bucket, come back, dump it in. Right? That water would last about 1.5 seconds and then they'd run back. And I would just sit back and we don't tell them, right? Like you don't tell them it's not gonna work <laughs> because they spent three hours running and digging, trying to make you know the kiddie pool version of the ocean that's right there. And the, and, and I, the whole time I'm like, man, thank you, God, because we gotta get them exhausted because we can't have them fulfilling purpose number one, which is to destroy my drywall, right? <laughs> Sometimes I just look at my 11-year-old and I'm like, I don't know what you're thinking about doing next, but just don't do it, okay? Like, I can't afford for you to do it. I get this other picture though when we go to the beach. My wife stands up. She's like, I'll see you in a little bit. She goes and wades out, waist deep in the waves, and then she just floats. She just lays on her back and just enjoys God, prays, worships. You know, she gets away from her phone, gets away from me, gets away from the kids, right? And she just, she just lets the waves, like, carry her back, you know, till she lands on the sand. And she leaves refreshed. Our boys leave, like, we, they buckle and they're out, you know, in the parking lot. You know, Satan wants to do two things in your life. He wants to keep you away from that ocean of who God says you are, your purpose in this world. And he wants to keep you digging. He wants to keep you distracted and he wants to keep you exhausted with these other things that can't really fulfill you so that you don't fulfill your purpose in this world. That's what he's doing in your life. Unless something changes. And Zacchaeus has two moments in this story that I think are really powerful. He realizes, man, something's got to change in my life. And he starts running. I think something became so desperate in him that even though this is very humiliating in Middle Eastern culture, he picks up his garment and he starts to run because he knows I got to get ahead of the crowd. And then he does something even more humbling. I mean, he has to be real with his shortness, right? (laughs) He climbs a tree and just waits. And I can imagine just the embarrassment of that or the taunting. You don't think they taunted him while he's up there? Look at Zacchaeus, man. He had to climb a tree, but something broke off inside of him. He says, I don't care anymore. I don't don't care if this doesn't make sense because I got to get to see what this Jesus has. And he says that Jesus was about to pass that way. I get this picture that that wasn't the normal path Zacchaeus took every day. Something in his life had to change to go that way. I want you to write this down. Real joy is gonna be on a radically different path than the one you've been taking. Real joy might be on a radically different path. Something in your life might have to be humbled and change. Some of you are like, Claude, my checking account is leaking. No, that's not true. That's you, all right? That's your problem. If you need some practical help, you know what's really cool? Sandals is gonna offer a workshop I think this coming Saturday at Hunter Park and online, where you can get really practical help from somebody to change what needs to change, but you're gonna to have to humble yourself and say something's gotta change. Otherwise, you'll be chasing the other stuff to death. The world doesn't have an answer for you on how to fill what's in your heart. We, we've seen it. You look at all your heroes, look at all the stars. They don't have what you need, but there's one person that might, and it's on a different path. Psalm 16, says this, God, you make known to me the path of life and it's in your presence. And here's the word, there's fullness, fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. And we think about being in God's presence. Some of us think, "What? that sounds weird. You know, like we're we supposed to light candles and put on my sandals. You know, what is it? Is this some kind of worship thing? That sounds boring, maybe to some of you. But to be in the presence, you got to remember, this is King David writing this. To be in the presence of the king meant two things for you. And I think it's the two things that you're actually looking for. See, I don't think most people are stingy in their heart, but I think they do want to be safe. And when you're in the presence of the king, if you have the favor of the king, it's the safest place you can be. And you know what else it says about you? That if you're in the presence of the king and you stay there, it says that you are somebody. And I think deep down, those are, those are the two things that all of us are searching for in our life is am I safe and am I somebody? And what's crazy is Jesus had none of the things the world chases, but he had all the security that the crowd wants because he was safe with God and he knew God says I'm somebody. You know, this fall, I coached uh, flag football. Anybody ever got tricked into that? Like. Uh, <laughs> It was, I loved it. It was fun. Ten-year-olds. My son was you know, on the team. And let me tell you, flag football with ten-year-olds is like one-half flag football, uh, one-half tying shoes, and one-half crying, okay? And that's how it added up because that's how it felt. And so I, but I realized, man, the toughest thing about, and by the way, our team lost every single game because they're so small. I was the one crying. Uh, but the thing that was t- so tough about it was there was a third team on the field. And I didn't realize it till like the first practice, first game. And, and here's what I mean. After every play, do you know what my kids would do? Instead of looking at me or looking at the huddle, they, they'd look to see, it was dad watching? They'd look to say it was mom watching. Is my brother here? You know, there was, the, there was a third team that I, I had to like try to get the attention back toward me, back toward the huddle because they needed to know, but does somebody see what's going on in my life? Does somebody see me? You know what's awesome about this moment for Zacchaeus, this humility, this being real with self, it gets the attention of Jesus when he comes by. Look what happens, verse five. When Jesus came to this place, it says he looked up and then he says to Zacchaeus, he knows his name. He goes, Zacchaeus, not only does he stop and see him, but he's like, I know who you are. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. If you were gonna ask me when Zacchaeus had saving faith, I believe this is the moment because this is so humbling and so public. And he doesn't say, let me go clean up my house first. How many of you, if Jesus come to your house? I'd be like, can I put some stuff away first, <laughs> right? At least I would look around the house and be like, why? You know, Jesus goes, what is this? That, that's a remote control, Jesus. It's, it's for the TV. It's so that I don't have to walk right there to the TV. Right? But Zacchaeus doesn't go clean up. But Jesus gives him this incredible honor. And listen, this is the gospel. The gospel is that the one person who is everything says that you're something. So I want you to write this down. When I receive Jesus, I receive everything I need. When I receive Jesus, I receive everything I really need. John 15, Jesus says this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy, there it is again, it might be full. You know, he got the attention of Jesus, but this whole thing also got the attention of the crowd. I don't really love this last, this next verse. I don't know why it's in there, but This happens. It says the crowd saw this and they all grumbled. They grumbled at this situation that Jesus would receive Zacchaeus. And they say, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Remember, he's a traitor. He's not one of us. And really, I want you to remember when they're grumbling, they're grumbling at Jesus's choice. That he would choose to love somebody like that. And you know, I looked at the verse again and I realized, where's Jesus though when this is happening? It says, He's gone. <laughs> it is slow him down or Zacchaeus down at all. And you know what I love about our church is we might be messed up, we might be sinners, but Jesus is here. He leaves the critical, but he comes with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus has done anything. You with me? Now later we get this flash forward because they're sitting down at at Zacchaeus' home, but we see this other moment that I think is really cool. It says Zacchaeus, for some reason, there's this moment inside of him where he stands up. He stands up and don't miss the imagery in the story that someone small would have to climb high to be humble. And then now he's standing because he has some new courage Jesus is in the room, right? And he says to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I'm giving to the poor. And if, if I have defrauded anyone, I will repay them fourfold. I don't know if he did. He not only says, I'm giving half this stuff. This stuff doesn't really matter anymore. You get the sense that like his hands just fall open. Like he's so secure in who Jesus is to him. that It's, it's like, yeah, I'm going to give away half my, my stuff, of course. And if I've, defra- if I've defrauded anyone, there's this posture toward future generosity that if it comes to my attention that I've done anything to owe anybody money, I'll pay it back fourfold. This kind of giving makes no sense to the world. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, today salvation has come to this home. Past tense. But I think what he says next, we miss. It's probably the most important part. It's what Zacchaeus needed to hear the most. Since you also, you're a son of Abraham. You're a true son of Abraham. You belong in my family. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus never asks him to give. I think it was this beautiful response of Zacchaeus being secure in who God is for him. Salvation has come to his house, so he's safe. And you're a son of Abraham. I say you're somebody. Listen, Jesus doesn't come to your house to rob you. Jesus comes to redefine you. Write this down, the courage to give starts with giving myself to Jesus. Second Corinthians eight, Paul gives us a picture. And this has been my prayer for us as a church, a, a, a picture of what a culture of generosity looks like in a church. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want you to know about this, what's happening at, at the churches in Macedonia, in the midst of a very severe trial in their 2020, okay. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Listen, radical giving comes from a radically secure heart. And the world doesn't know what to do with stuff like this. This makes no sense to the world. You know, the story of Sandals Church is the story of a culture of generosity. That's why you're here. That's why you're watching or why you're at a campus right now. Even before Sandals had a campus, there's been incredible stories of people giving all kinds of things. Stocks, Uh, You know, one person gave a Porsche, you know, Matt said, I drove a Porsche around for a week. (laughs) Uh, But one of the coolest stories was someone, a a woman in our church, God put it on her heart to give her wedding ring. Uh, It was a $17,000 wedding ring. And I I wish I could have been there to hear that conversation, you know, her and her husband. Like, are are you sure you want to give your wedding ring? (laughs) Like, maybe God said Bitcoin. Bitcoin sounds like wedding ring. Maybe God was Bitcoin. No, wedding ring. But can you imagine, you know, just that that courageous moment that that she stood and obeyed God saying, this makes no sense. But God, this is what you want me to give. You know, what's really cool is another man in our church found out about that story that week and bought the ring from Sandals for more money and then gave that ring back to her. Listen to me. God does not want your stuff. God wants you. God wants you. And if you're here today and you've never ran to Jesus, he has everything you need. And listen, his promise to you is greater than to just come visit your home. He wants to come be with you and live inside your heart forever. The best decision you can make is not a financial one, it's a spiritual one. But for those of us who follow Jesus, listen to me. I wanna challenge us because we need to do some work on the inside. We need to take a good look at our generosity and ask, man, God, what needs to change on the inside because the king is in the room. You know, when we sing that song, do you know why we can sing that song that the king is in the room? The, the king is in the room because the king is in you. The king is in our church because the king is in you. The king is in our city because the king is in you. And the king is on his way to every tribe, every tongue, every nation in this world, because that's the mission and the purpose, number one, that God has given you and me. But listen to me, some of you have left that ocean and you just been digging and you don't know why You're so exhausted and empty. And my prayer for you is that that you would come back, that you would have this moment like Zacchaeus where you would say, something's gotta change. This is a moment to to run. This is a moment to stand. This is a moment to do whatever it takes to change because we have a mission in the world. And, and, and listen, I, I, my prayer is that something inside you would break loose where you'd say, I don't care. I, I don't care anymore if, you know, this makes a sense to the world. I wanna make a difference to the world. And that we would begin a culture of generosity that would do amazing things. Can we pray that together? Let's pray. God, would you begin this work on us on the inside? And it begins with us being real with ourselves, and what we're chasing. I wonder what would happen if we asked Jesus to come take a seat and just people watch at the temple of our life, the temple of our finances. And I wonder what he would say to us and what he would see, what our generosity would reveal about our faith. God, your church is the hope of the world, but your church is exhausted. We have chased the wrong things. And sometimes God, we need to give first. Sometimes we need to give in order to cut down all the wrong trees that we've been climbing in our life. And so I pray you'd give us courage to change, to run, to stand. And God, when we're full, when we feel this fullness of who you say that we are, Lord, we be able to sit down on the inside? We'd be free and our, open, our hands would just open in response in generosity, radical generosity. And even the world that says they don't believe in God would say, but we can't explain you. God create a culture of generosity in our church and in us that we might impact the world. And it's in Jesus name that we pray, amen.